Hey everybody, welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree and joining me in conversation today is a historic little lady. This is America's highest earning sex worker, the incredible Alice Little. Welcome to Licked and Loaded. Joining me today, I am so excited for this conversation. I have been trying to make contact with this legend for quite some time, the great Alice Little. Let's just say sex worker, activist, intimacy coach, podcaster. Did I get it all or is there more? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm on YouTube, casually sued the governor over the pandemic, just a few <laughs> little things here and there. It's it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot to pack into life. I mean, it's 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 incredible. It really is. I remember when I first learned about you, it was the headline that said uh, highest paid or highest earning sex worker in America. When that when that article and that story was circulating, were you getting a lot of press? Were you getting a lot of uh, outreach of people saying, wait a minute, we need to know the story? Oh my God, it was absolute mayhem. Like I went to bed and woke up the next morning and I swear my inbox must have been just filled, overflowing with all sorts of inquiries and questions. And like, I pretty much opened my computer and then closed it right away. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna take a minute and make me some coffee. <laughs> this is a two cup of coffee morning, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, an avalanche to wake up to. Amazing. Uh, you know, I, I, I would love to hear in your own words how you would describe your profession or at least that chapter of sex work and that time that you, uh, you've occupied it. How would you describe what you do? I'm plain and simply put an intimacy professional much in the same way that we have medical professionals that take care of our medical needs. I'm an intimacy professional, so I'm able to help people with their intimate needs, whether it be education, having no idea how to have sex, or wanting to improve the quality of their sex to learning about different communication skills that can really kind of advance their way through the bedroom, relationship skills, even just exploring new things for the first time and kind of that growth through exploration, that's all part and parcel of what I do. So while it's just one title, what I do every day is really unique and changes depending on who I'm spending time with. Yeah. Uh, going into this business, was this always how you, I guess, understood or expected it to be? Or was there a, a, an education along the way that made you realize just how impactful this work is and, and how much it means to the lives of, of clients? I found my way to sex work by way of sex education, which is a little bit different than most folks who enter the adult industry who usually start by entering the adult world and then translating it over to the educational side. Whereas for me, I kind of came into it knowing just how important the communication and the intimacy and the connection was. And when I entered this space, I wanted to do something a little bit different than what everyone else was doing. There were porn stars. There were folks that were, oh, hey, I'm very sexy and tall. 
I'm four foot eight. I'm a petite little redhead. I am not trying to compete with a six foot tall Barbie doll here. That's that's not what I'm about. That's not who I am. And so when I entered this world, I entered it with my eyes wide open, knowing exactly who I was and what I wanted to bring to the table for my guests. Yeah. Tell us the actual journey of, uh, I guess, setting foot into the Nevada brothels and saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm entering this, I'm doing this. What was the decision making like? What were the hesitations, if any? Uh, who were you at that point versus who you are now? So at that point in time, I was traveling around the country as a BDSM and sex educator. I was going to different conferences nationally as well as internationally, presenting, teaching, co-hosting different conferences, all sorts of fun stuff. And a fellow educator was telling me about this brothel in the middle of the desert. And there are these Mustangs and it's so much fun. And oh my God, you've got to meet the owner. His name is Dennis Hoff. This guy is bigger than life. It's crazy. I'm telling you, you'd love it. I pulled out my phone and applied online literally at that same event. I didn't, I didn't even like leave the conversation. I'm like, uh-huh, tell me more as I'm filling in the info box and sending them over pictures I had taken earlier that day at the event. Like, yeah, sign me up, please. Mm. It's actually an involved process. Well, first applying is easy. You send an email. Next, you actually have a phone interview where they go through and make sure that you're going to be a good fit, not just for the industry, but for that particular location. Mm. There's only a small handful of brothels in Nevada. There's maybe 20 in existence. And at the location I applied at, there were three different locations I could have potentially worked at. And so they try to get a feel for who you are and set you into the right location. And that's very much so what happened for me. I was set in one of the smaller houses instead of the bunny ranch to kind of get a little bit more comfortable, uh, learn the rest of the ropes as you will. Most yeah. people go in, they're like, ooh, BDSM, teach me. And I'm like, who wants kink lessons? I brought all my rope. Let's get freaky friends. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So I applied online. I schedule out when my first tour will be, purchase a plane ticket and fly out to Nevada. But before you can begin actually working, you have to undergo a really elaborate process. There's mm. like a whole STD and STI check that happens followed by an FBI fingerprint and background check. You're joking. No, no, I swear to you, like they take us in and finger fingerprint us, like manipulate and move our fingers around to get nice clear fingerprint scans so they can run a full detailed background check before we can get our work licenses. Holy shit. Yeah, it is not a joke. I mean, right. now let's talk about, there's like, several dozen different things that can disqualify you from being a legal sex worker. Most problematic is the fact that if you've ever received a charge for being an yeah. independent or criminalized sex worker, then it's very, very challenging to be able to enter the legal sphere. So it's also important to note that I'm very privileged to be able to work legally. I didn't have anything that was in my way preventing me from doing so. For example, yeah. if you owe back child support, you're ineligible and unable to get a brothel license. So it, it's a really involved, complicated process and quite pricey too. I probably spent a good two, three thousand dollars 
at this point that I had to pull out of my savings. Like most people yeah. don't have that kind of capital laying around just for a chance to maybe make it in an industry because right. you have to pay for your flight, you have to pay for your testing, you have to pay for your sheriff's card, your clothing, your hair, your makeup, your outfits, your room supplies, your condoms, everything, everything comes out of our pocket. Well, you, you definitely uh, got a little ahead of me on the, uh, the reality of privilege <laughs> that comes with being a sex worker in the state of Nevada. I mean, yes. the, only, oh, yeah. the only legalized destination location in the country. I mean, you're looking at a war on sex workers everywhere else in this country and, and, and how heavily criminalized it is. So to stand and, and be so publicly written of being, you know, not just a sex worker, but the highest earning sex worker. I mean, how does that sit with you? Oh gosh, I'll tell you the first time that headline came out, like yeah. I was shook because money isn't necessarily a motivator for me it's yeah. nice of course we live in a capitalist society we all have to pay our bills and plan ahead for retirement and at the same time my focus was on being able to connect with people and help them and so whenever i, I was interacting with all the media stuff it's like yeah the money is really cool but don't you want to hear about all the cool things i get to do with my guests yeah. like to me that's the enjoyable part of my job but the reality is the public tends to see my job as being very much so like the headline. It is fantastic. I am extremely successful. And again, like I can't overstate enough how, how privileged I am, which is why I mentioned it right away because yeah. it's that important. And at the same time, even when it is legalized, sex work is still deeply stigmatized. I've had to get up and literally do a tour of my local county and say, hi, my name is Alice Little. Please don't criminalize the brothels and take away my job and the jobs of 110 of your fellow Lyon County citizens here. Mm -hmm. Like, that was a real debate that had to happen. I had to get up on stage yeah. and literally debate for the right to do a job that I already was doing. So like, it's almost two hats at the same time, doing the job and defending the job. Yeah, no shit, no shit. And, <laughs> and my God. It's, Double it's, work. Yeah, when did, when did the activism angle come into play for you? Was it already there before you even entered full service? It was something that I very much so was aware of and supportive. I have friends who are sex workers prior to becoming a right. primary type sex worker myself. And so I was already familiar with a lot of the issues. I was familiar with some of the legislation that was coming up through the pipeline. This is prior to SESTA and FOSTA actually yeah. being conceptualized. And I was a part of several online petitions and campaigns to help spread awareness and Unfortunately, we were not successful in SESTA and FOSTA did come to pass, which was very, very deeply hurtful to the yeah. sex work community as a whole. Oof. So like the activism was something that I was already very comfortable with, mm -hmm. but once it was something that was part of my identity, it was then possible for me to stand up and go, hi, here's my name. Here's my face. I'm not afraid. I'm not hiding. And you can't push me away and make this any less of a reality. This is here, this is real, this is, exists. Now let's do this the right way so it benefits everyone as much as possible. 
Mm. SESTA and FOSTA in particular here, when that was written into law, when that came into play in the lives of sex workers and really human beings of America, people think that it's something that really is only experienced by sex workers. And it's like, no, no, this involves First Amendment rights very much so. Yes, how, yes. How, you know, how on earth could any of these lawmakers say, oh, I, I want to dispute this when it's a law that's like, yeah, we're here to try and stop sex trafficking, but it just wraps up so unfairly. It wraps up sex work and includes it with sex trafficking, which is not how uh, sex work safely operates today. I mean, there is a, a dividing line. I mean, is there a way that we pull apart SESTA-FOSTA and attack just the online trafficking and the uh, underage experiences going on? Uh, is there a way of kind of pulling that apart and maybe setting in place a law that would make sense or legislature that would make sense? I, I believe so, yes. I think yeah. it is absolutely possible to come up with legislation that protects minors without further criminalizing and penalizing the most marginalized of folks. Sex workers who use the internet often use it as an alternative to more risky forms of sex work. And yeah. so when we criminalize online sex work, take away the ability of sex workers to be able to do like a blacklists and see if a guest is safe or not safe to have support systems built up of fellow sex workers. When you take away those safety nets, what you end up doing is killing sex workers. Mm. It's a bloodied law, which inevitably hasn't actually saved any sex trafficking victim, but it sure has yeah. hurt sex workers. A law mm. that addresses the issue has to acknowledge that sex work and sex trafficking are not the same thing. One is occurring between consenting legal adults, adults of the age of majority, depending on whatever the country may be, 18 or 21, whereas sex trafficking is forced, coerced, enslavement that is oftentimes being conducted against the will by minors or otherwise mm. impoverished and trafficked folks. Immigrants, people of color, trans folks are particularly vulnerable, children are particularly vulnerable. And so we need legislation that is able to protect those folks without taking away the access of the internet from those who are playing by the law and doing the right thing. Sex works. It's not going away like it's been here absolutely not i think it's been here before you know the cockroaches the rats and the uh parking lots that we've put up in this country but oh yeah the 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 idea that there needs to be a clear definition understood by these people on the top because i think i would say that's what's missing if you're defining sex work as something that is uh criminal activity and and dangerous which it is not it is very much a reality in our world until we have that definition, I think that there's going to be this disparity, you know, there's going to be this confusion and this lumping of all sex work into something negative, dangerous, let's keep it uh, criminalized to try and stop it. And, and that's, that's where I think the problem, let's get a definition that's agreed and understood by all. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think it's not just, let's not just get a definition going, but Let's actually start talking about and celebrating sex work success. The only time we see sex work portrayed in the media by Hollywood, yeah. by TV, is in this horrible stigmatized way in which it's dead hooker body number three. Yeah. I'm sorry, I have a name. My name is Alice Little. All of my coworkers have names. 
please use our names. Don't refer yeah. to us by problematic slurs. Let's talk about our success. Let's talk about the fact that sex work is absolutely a valid career in the year 2021. It is something that exists that's not going away. And it's something that we should acknowledge and not just be afraid of. Let's right. talk about sex work and sex work stories. Let's talk about who sex work helps, whether it be a guest of mine that has several palsy and is a virgin. And everyone's always stigmatized him his entire life for being in a wheelchair to a couple that is super nervous and on the verge of like a divorce because they've lost the ability to communicate in the bedroom. Like mm. there's any number of different scenarios and ways that I'm able to give back to people that are beautiful and helpful and are certainly not criminalized sex trafficking happening in the underground like that so that's so Al Alice are you gonna are you gonna lead in organizing like can can this happen can we just get a giant organization of uh countrywide sex workers is that the idea and then go lobby and then go like there, that approach could be I hope that approach gets made it needs to happen not just knocking on the door but demanding a fucking meeting you know I agree wholeheartedly. Part of the problem is that each state has its own different legislation. Yes. And so it's very challenging to try to make national change when right. we're looking at a state-by-state -state issue. As a result of this, we've seen a lot of individual location-specific groups pop up, swap New York, swap yeah. San Francisco or LA. And so we have almost like these chapter organizations but like you said, there's a lot of inner division in the sense that there is no larger overall unifying body. And I even think that speaks to the culture of sex work in the sense that we have unfortunately allowed ourselves to become very subdivided where dancers are lobbying for dancer rights and full service mm -hmm. sex workers are lobbying for first full service sex worker rights. And you have online sex workers focusing on online sex worker rights. But like you said, what affects sex workers affects everyone. And what affects one sex worker impacts all of us. If something happens for one of us, that's a canary in the coal mine. That's yeah. a heads up for every single one of us. Oh my God, it's a very big deal if AVN stars lost their financing. That is a horrific tragedy because that speaks to the reality that other sites could lose their financing too. It's yeah. all part of the big picture. And so when somebody identifies as, oh, I'm a full service sex worker, I'm a this sex worker, I'm a that sex worker. I describe myself as a sex worker because we have enough subdivision already. And mm -hmm. frankly speaking, when we remove some of the subdivision and instead start to have compassion and care for our fellow sex workers, that's how we start to gain momentum. And we're starting mm -hmm. to see it. New York politicians are having conversations with Decriminalize NY. We've got headway happening in uh, Washington, D.C. There's been some really great movement happening. Uh, Oregon has had some conversations. I personally spoke to some folks out in Pennsylvania. Like, it's happening slowly, but it's it's happening. And that's a very important, positive fucking message to put out right now because I talk to a lot of sex workers on the regular, whether you're a content creator online or a full service individual, and the the fear of this swing going towards further further censorship, further, um, uh, I don't want to call it the, the, the radical Christian right, 
But when you hear more of that trend going that way, and there is a fear in the air for sex workers that are saying, oh my God, are we about to go further in a direction that's gonna make our lives uh, full of fear and danger? Yeah, and it's an understandable fear because we've seen yeah. our yeah. rights get walked back. We've seen our websites, our tools, our yeah. resources and support networks ripped and taken away from us. We fought our way off of the streets onto the internet, and then we had the internet taken away. Mm. I personally didn't suffer a lot from SESTA and FOSTA, which again is a tremendous privilege. And right. even though it didn't deeply impact me, I still felt that it was important to speak out against SESTA and FOSTA. I penned a number of different articles, hopped on a bunch of podcasts, folks that I would probably never sit down and have a conversation with otherwise because it's just that important. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will find a way to make SESTA and FOSTA relevant to sports to get sports folks invested in the brothels, dang it. Like, I don't care. We're going to make this message get out there. Yeah, let's get the free Britney people on it. Let's get them. Right. <laughs> you, know? you know who we need? We need the BTS army. That's what we need. We need a K-pop army. That's what we need. We need we need a K-pop army. Dang it. Look, we'll work on that. We'll drop the plans for that next. That's what's happening. Uh, you, you know, I think a lot of people have this idea about sex work as just your if you're as a client, you get in it because you just want to get blow your load. That's it. You're going in there to blow <laughs> your load. You're going in there to maybe try something sneaky and sexual that you've never done before and no one will let you do because you're a weirdo. And like I <laughs> I admire the healing quality of sex work, like what you were saying about disabled folks, uh, people that might not have the tools to make connections in their life that help them experience intimacy like this. And I also am one of those people who understand wholeheartedly that sexuality is part of our overall wellness. Yeah. It's part of our identity. It's undeniable and instinctual that we have a relationship with our sexuality. So I would love to hear from you. Uh, a bit about the firsthand experiences that have helped you, uh, I guess, gain insight on this, just how much health and wellness intersects with sexuality, the fact that perhaps they are the same thing. Yeah, so I always like to preface any sort of stories with, I always get very explicit consent before I share stories. I never discuss any details without that consent. So if you do choose to come and see me, don't feel as if you're going to end up on the next podcast. Not unless you give me permission to, or you want me to share the story like, hey, tell people this was awesome. And one of the stories I have permission to share is a guest that had lost his wife. He was married for a number of years, had a beautiful relationship, and unfortunately she had passed away a number of years before he did. Absolutely just, just devastated him, like heartbroken beyond words. And what happened after his wife passed is he had a series of really serious life-threatening medical complications to the point where this man almost died of a broken heart, literally. Literally almost died of a broken heart. And his doctor pretty much said, buddy, if you don't get a hand on your grief, your grief is gonna get its hand around your neck and put you in the grave. So um, he took that message very seriously to heart and sent me an email. We exchanged messages back and forth as I got to learn about him and his relationship with his wife. 
it ended up being this really beautiful healing process in which he not only was able to process the end of his existing relationship, but also be able to acknowledge it before moving into an intimate connection with somebody else. Whereas with most people, you probably don't want to talk about your dead wife before you get jiggy with it. Like, that's probably not a conversation most people are able to emotionally have before intimacy. But sex is such a beautiful healing tool. And I'll tell you, like, by the time that him and I parted ways, it was just such a, a beautiful, beautiful moment. Like, I'm not even going to try to describe it because it's one of those indescribable things to see a weight come off of somebody's shoulders and the physical change in their posture and attitude and body language and demeanor. Like, even, even the emails are totally different. Like, getting little emojis in the email. I was like, oh, <laughs> he sent a little emoji heart. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God, alert the press. Like incredible incredible oh, uh, how, how was it one it. how long was the span of seeing this this guest and i i guess spending time with them how long was it multiple events one time we actually decided to spend a prolonged evening together so we went out for dinner spent the night mm. together woke up the next morning had some breakfast which i promptly burnt and then we ubered some breakfast in it's fine it's fine it's fine <laughs> Sex worker, not a chef. I do my best. I don't. I don't promise breakfast in bed, but I'm gonna do my best. Oh, it's it's beautiful. It's a human story. It's it's, you know, people can feel so hopeless in life, and I think a big part of it is is companionship, and and having that human understanding that, you know, we're in this together, oh, and yeah. the work you do is beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It is. It really, it is one of the, one of the questions that always comes up when I'm doing uh, specifically anyone who experiences full service or provides full service encounters is, is there a difference between married man sex and single man sex? Ooh, I really don't feel as if marital status defines ability necessarily. But what I will say is that it is very obvious when a gentleman is in a committed relationship and his partner has taught them some language skills. And I can always tell by the phrasing, if this is something that a former partner has kind of like gifted them, like if a guy turns around and says, oh, how are you feeling? Did you finish? I'm like, can I shake the hands of the woman who gave you that line? Like. <laughs> round of applause bravo like where's the confetti button like yeah like ding 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 you are the winner bedroom communication oh my gosh because it, it truly is a rare skill and it's a learned skill we don't know how to have sex instinctively i mean we can probably figure out what goes where for the most part and have mm. some fun with the pieces all fitting together but like the communication and that part of it is definitely a skill and it takes mm. time to develop. So I would say it's not so much married or not, so much as has somebody learned that like language literacy in the bedroom or not. And that you're talking about a great story. Like this is someone, you know, if you have learned that language literacy, I mean, bravo. What about the other side? When you see a guest who does not have that vocabulary, maybe has been conditioned by a partner one way or the other, is the, the goal to, strip all of that and get them back to like a neutral space where they can maybe 
learn to be authentic and be independent in the bedroom? Or is the goal just, hey, let's just make you feel good. And if this is how you understand the world, I'll have to work within that. It all depends on the individual and what their personal goals are. So I'm, I'm kind of like support much in the way you said I'm a companion. Like I'm the NPC you get to add to your party that tags along for the ride and helps you on whatever side quest or whatever mission it is that you want to choose. If the side quest is to learn bedroom communication, well, I'm going to teach you every trick in the book. If your goal is to get over, say, maybe a phobia or a fear or to get over an uncomfortability and open up and try a new kink, well, when you're trying to overcome anxiety and nerves, it's probably not the time to also learn bedroom communication hmm. skills. And so oftentimes that goal shifts depending on who I'm working with. And I'm very fortunate in that many of my guests do choose to spend time with me between sessions through virtual dates, Skype, phone calls. And so we'll oftentimes have that ongoing rapport to help add that communication in along the way too. So it's not mm. just oftentimes like a one-time event, this is the only yeah. chance I have to make this the most acceptable person in the bedroom ever. Like, no, 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 oftentimes we're building a relationship and we're working on multiple things even. Mm. It, it, not to not to make the rest of the country, the world, the, the sexual adult population, not to make them feel like they don't have what it takes. But if you were to, I guess, boil down one overriding misconception or one hang up that humans have sexually, what would it be? What's one thing that we just, we, we keep getting wrong, whether it's an actual act of the physical moment or whether it's a headspace, what's the, is there an overriding, you guys got to get over it? Yes. 110%. You're not a porn star. Stop imitating porn. <laughs> That's not real life. Please do not. Okay. Porn is wonderful. Porn is beautiful. Porn is a visual art. You wouldn't try to re replicate a Picasso on an Etch-a-Sketch, okay? Like, stop. Porn is fantastic, but even porn stars will tell you those positions are designed for maximum viewer pleasure. They look good, not necessarily um, feel great. Mm. So when you're trying to replicate the handstand against the wall while thrusting, there's a good chance you're going to hurt yourself or your partner more than you are going to give them an orgasm. So maybe save the theatrics for like Cirque du Soleil and not for your bedroom, like not the place, not the time. Right. Because you know what? Sometimes nothing is better than just that warm, close, missionary, give it to me, ooey gooey. I like it that way. Nice and, you know, pushed together. It does not need to be the the architectural experience of look at this gorgeous structure we can make, right? Yeah, it's like, I don't need you to like show up at my doorstep and deliver me a pizza before we can like no. get it on the bedroom. <gasps> we can skip the cheesy plot line and move right along. Like, it's fine. We don't need that. Alice, you're amazing. Porn, if I could just please never see a porn involving a pizza delivery person ever again in my life, it would be too soon. Would you, would you? Always pizza always pizza have you have you done any porn have you shot any content i have shot exactly one professional scene and uh -huh. it wasn't even like a true porn it was 
education porn for Kink Academy. Back in the day when they used to do an educational series out of the armory, I was asked to do a presentation on primal play. Mm. It was super fun. It was fantastic. I got to have the whole experience of getting to see the armory and behind the scenes and going through the process that it really gave me an appreciation for what porn stars encounter on set. But that was kind of the limitation of my experience was from that like educator side. It's kind of the almost porn, kind of like porn. Well, porn lights, camera, porn. action. Yeah, yeah. Lights, camera, action. You know, that's that all happened. So you've done it. What a wonderful life. My goodness, Alice, you are inspiring beyond belief. It's been such a, a joy chatting with you. And uh, you. I would love viewers and listeners to have the opportunity to find you online. So what are those connects? Best place to find me is going to be my website. That is going to be thealicelittle.com. And you can always reach me personally, Alice Little at thealicelittle.com. Don't be afraid to email me questions, ideas, if you simply want to say thank you, whatever it is, don't be afraid to reach out. I love chatting with people and it's definitely the best way to connect. Oh, Alice, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope everyone watching and listening enjoyed today's episode of Licked and Loaded, a Cam4 podcast. Uh, until next time, I'm Laura Desiree. See ya. This has been a Cam4 radio production. Come say hi at www.cam4radio.com.